I just believe that anytime you have an expectation to encounter God, you will. I believe anytime you have an expectation to encounter God, you will. I just believe he's so faithful, he's so good, he's so kind, there's no way that anybody asks to see him and he doesn't show up. There's no way that anybody asks for inside revelation, transformation, and he doesn't show up. So how many of you believe that God is already here? Now, I'm asking you to put yourself in a space that not only is he already here, but you're committed to see him this morning. Because God is everywhere. They never say, God is everywhere. He's everywhere. The question is, what are you more aware of? Are you more aware of your limitations? Are you more aware of what somebody else said about you? Are you more aware of whatever demons and devils that you're afraid of? Are you more aware of him? And so we want to be more aware of him. Amen. I love that song. I love what the praising made. Like death couldn't hold him. Death could not hold him. He's un. You can't hold him. You can't contain him. You can't limit him. You cannot block him. You cannot stop him. He can find people in countries that have never even heard the word Jesus uttered. He appears in dreams. He manifests himself. He cannot be contained. So if he can't be contained, then it becomes our job to open ourselves up and not miss how he reveals himself. Because, you know, people come to church every week all across the world, and somebody gets their life changed, and somebody goes to sleep. Same service. Somebody will be like, this is the best word I ever heard. Somebody will be asleep. Somebody totally missed everything that happened. Somebody got their life changed. So it's not the church. It's not the location. It's not the weather. It's your position. The Bible says that if you hunger and thirst after him, you will be filled. And I love him for that. I so appreciate him for that, that if you get hungry, he's satisfied. So we're going to be talking, we've been talking about stepping out of this realm of living in fear into this realm of love. How many of you have been blessed by that teaching? If you haven't heard it, you need to go listen to it. Amen. Um, we've been talking about, um, let's start with 1 John 4, 16 through 18. And then we're going to get into this thing about how we transform our lives. Because it's not enough to know that you can transform your life. You need to know how, right? Nothing's more frustrating than knowing you should be living a better life and not knowing how. Right? It would all sometimes it feel like it would be better not to know that you that you should live a better life than to know that you should live a better life and not know how. Right? So 1 John 16 says that we have known and believed the love that God had toward us. God is what? God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So God is love. God does a lot of things, but God is love. That's really important to remember because when God heals, why does God heal? Good job. He heals because he loves us. So this is important to understand. When we say when God heals, we don't mean that when God makes healing present because healing's already present. We mean that God loves so he made healing present. God loves so he made provision present. It's already here. We're not trying to convince God to do anything. Tell your neighbor, say, you don't have to convince God to do anything. Tell, turn somebody, tell somebody else that. Say, you do not have to convince God 
to do anything. So I got to tell this testimony as we start because I think it's an important testimony to help you understand that you don't have to convince God to do anything and God already knows what he's going to do. It's absolutely one of my favorite testimonies that I've heard in the last couple of weeks. So um, Kathleen, who goes to our church, wave your hand, Kathleen. Yes, that's Kathleen. And so um, Kathleen, if you follow her on social media, she's been doing this thing, this um, year challenge where she's like showing you how to do an outfit under $15, right? And so Kathleen wanted to be in this past fashion week as one of the um, designers, one of the stylists, right? So she fills out an application and they tell her no because you thought I was going to say they told her yes, but they told her no. But she goes to the fashion week and she shows up as Kathleen, and they think she's famous. And so they keep asking who she is. She just showed up as she was. When the show is over, the lady who's over it comes and is like, who are you? We want you in this show. She's like, interesting. I applied. You told me no. She said, well, you ain't told no now. I don't really think you understand what that means, that if God will turn a no into a yes for Kathleen because she was in the right place and she didn't give up and turn in, then God has other no's that can be turned into yeses. But what if Kathleen had said, you know what, I miss God, I really ain't called to do this. If this was really what God wanted me to do, they would have said yes to me. Just forget it. I'm going to stay at home. But God already has somebody in place that even what they couldn't see on our application, they could see on a person. And I'm telling you, there are some yeses that have already been set for you. That lady already wanted to say to cast yes to Kathleen. And I want you to know that when you begin to realize who you are in Christ, you don't have to fight. You don't have to compete. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. She just showed up as Kathleen. And they was like, we want you. There are some opportunities with your name on them. There's some healing that already belongs to you. It's been preordained with your name on it. And so I was really thinking about how do, you, how do you explain manifestation because one of the things that I believe is one of the biggest challenges for the body of Christ is you keep trying to get what's already given. So you keep asking for it because you don't think you have it. So I was trying to think of how can we explain what provision looks like. So think of a scavenger hunt. When someone sends you on a scavenger hunt, and they've hidden presents for you, are the presents already there? So there are some clues that they give you to get you in the right place. If you were on a scavenger hunt and you opened up clue number one and you went to where you thought it was, but it wasn't there, would you just throw the whole scavenger hunt away? What would you do? Because you'd be like, I know that the provision, the present, the gift, the surprise is already there. You need to understand that everything God has done for you is already there. So if you show up in a space and you don't see it, don't take that to mean that God doesn't want you to have it. Just reread the clues. If you apply for a job that's in your field and you don't get that job, don't go, God must not want me to have a job. Go, wait a minute, let me read the clue again. Because it is a difference in believing that it already exists and believing that you got to convince God to do something for you. 
You can't convince God to do something that he doesn't want to do. But the Bible says he's already freely given you everything that you need for life. Does God know you need a job? Does God know you want love? Does God know you need health? There's nothing in your life that you need that God hasn't already made provision for. And if you understand that, it changes how you go through life. And then instead of being frustrated when you think you got to know, you just go, wait a minute, let me step back. Because I know there's a yes. So am I in the wrong place? Did I ask the wrong person? Did I misread the clue? Because I already know there's a yes. And so that's how God wants us to live our lives, believing that we have already received. Say, I have already received everything I'll ever need from God. Say, it's a done deal. So I don't have to ask for money as though he had to create money for me. I just have to ask to see what's already been created. Does that feel different? That totally feels different because if I don't think there's money, then now there's stress and anxiety and there is frustration because I, I look at life and I'm like, there's not enough. But if I believe it's already there, it's, it's been set aside for me. It's been, even if you get the exact job that I wanted, that doesn't have anything to do with me because there isn't any shortage. This is important because part of the fear mentality comes from believing there's not enough. Not enough good men, not enough money, not enough healing, not enough treatment for mental health, not enough. And so if you think there's not enough, then when a doctor says to you, that's all we can do, you're like, oh, my God, that's over. No, no, it's not because you're, you're, you don't hold all the infinite possibilities. So if I see that he is the holder, the creator, and he's love, so God doesn't get any benefit out of making my life rough. Can you tell your neighbor that? Say, God doesn't get any benefit out of making your life rough. So all of that stuff that you went through, that you said God did, didn't. You know, God had to take me through that to teach me. No, that may have been the way you chose to learn, but that is not what God has to do. God is not a hard taskmaster. God is not a bad father. God is not out here saying, you know what, I want to make sure that you learn not to burn your hand, so I'm going to burn your hand. I'm going to make sure that you respect money, so I'm going to make you broke. And so people say these dumb religious things because they seem cute. Oh, we'd have to know sun, we'd have to know rain to appreciate sun. No, no. We could just see the sun and go, ooh, we like that. We would have to know poverty to appreciate wealth. No, we don't. But if you believe that, then you'll always have to walk through struggle before you can receive because you are convinced that in order to get anything from God, there has to be this story of great struggle, how you almost didn't make it, how the devil had his foot on your neck, how you weren't going to make it, and how at the ninth hour, God came in and snatched you up. And because you believe that, that's what you live. So God is love, and God is already giving you everything you need. And if you don't take anything else from today's message, if you take that and you begin to live from that, you will stop being so stressed out. You will stop being so anxious. You will stop being so aggravated, so easily irritated, so frustrated, 
and you will live your life in peace because you will trust that he has already given you everything that you need. Say, I already have everything that I need. So I'm going to tell you this one more thing, and then we're going to get into really the teaching that I want to talk about today. So one of the things that you have to watch about saints, believers, is that you need to take so much attention off the devil. And I'm going to tell you why, because when you start talking about the devil, then you get in warfare mode and you start fighting. So now you like, the devil coming after me, I'm about to fast harder. The Bible actually says the devil is defeated. So if you should be fasting, you should be fasting to remember that he's defeated. And not fasting because now you think in order to fast, you have a sharper spiritual sword in order to beat the devil. He's already defeated. And I watch so many times that people don't even realize how much they idolize the devil. Every day people are like, oh, the devil was on my back. Why? He should be under your feet. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he belongs under your feet. So if he's anytime he up any place other than your feet, you're out of position. You've lowered yourself to the level of fear, and you've now begun to make him bigger than he is. But the Bible says this. It says when we see him in the last day, we're going to go, is this him? He tricked everybody? It's going to be like some of those dates that you've been on, you know, where you met somebody in the club, and then you took them to IHOP, and you like, oh, my, yeah, my bad, sorry. I'm going to go to the bathroom, never come back, Right? He says, when you see him, you're going to be like, is this him? I'm telling you, you don't have to wait to heaven to be that way. You can decide right now. If Jesus says he's defeated, he's defeated. So if God has already given you everything that you need and the devil is already defeated, then what's keeping you back? Very good. If I had a star, I'd give you a star. In case you missed it, she said, yourself. It's your thinking, it's your belief, it's your emotion that's holding you. Now, people don't like that because then it's like, oh my God, but you don't know what happened to me. I was molested, I was raped, my father wasn't there, I was abandoned, I was all of those things. But none of those things are the reason that you are who you are today. I, I know, I know, I can feel the resistance, it's cool. I do this work every day, I can do it, I can handle it, okay? Listen, you aren't the way you are because of what happened to you. You are the way you are because of what you did with what happened to you. There are people all over this world who have faced all kinds of traumatic things and they have decided to be something else. You are not what you are because of who your daddy was, who took advantage of you, who hurt you, who injured you, who you think broke you. Because in truth, nobody can actually break the real you. Now, things can happen that can jack up your soul. But we've been teaching for a long time, you are not your soul. If any man be in Christ, he's new. He's a spirit man created in the image of God. So what's jacked up is your mind, will, emotions, and your intellect, which you have the power to change. But your spirit is perfect. Make yourself real uncomfortable today. Say, I am perfect. No, say it again. Look, some of y'all cringe. Y'all like, I'm not finna be saying that. I know, because if you say that, then you can't say, I'm just human. You know, everything happens to I'm just human. I'm just barely making it. Say it again. Now be bold and tell somebody. I am perfect. 
Now, my spirit is perfect. My soul needs some work. But if I can ever separate that I am a spiritual being in a body with a soul, then I stop judging how okay I am based on my soul in a moment. I look at who my spirit man is, and then I get my soul and my body to come on and agree with what's true about me. Because my spirit is always true because my spirit is created in the image of God. Everybody take a deep breath. See, because in order for you to really be free, you're going to have to kick over some of your sacred religious cows. You know, all of that, I'm just a filthy rag, garbage, bull. The Bible says you are new and you are made righteous and you have the same righteousness as Jesus. So how could you have the same righteousness as Jesus and be a filthy rag? So is Jesus a filthy rag or are you righteous? No, I'm trying to help you because you keep thinking your identity is your soul. I just feel that ain't the real you. The real you is who God says you are. The real me is who God says I am. I am not broken. I am not battered. I am not beat up. I am not sick. I am not rejected. I am loved. I am accepted. I am righteous. I am whole and I am perfect. And If I think that about myself, then I will expect the rest of myself to line up and agree with that. But if I think I'm nothing, and if I think I'm worthless, then I'll keep putting myself in situations so people can confirm the fact that I'm nothing, and they're only confirming what I believe about myself. So that's why Romans 12 and 3, 2 says, pull it up for me, please. Romans 12 and 2, you should know it by now, but it's good to see it. Y'all okay? It says, be not conformed to this world, but do what? No, let's go back to the beginning of it. It says, and do what? Be not conformed. Be not conformed to? This world, so this world has a way of thinking. This world tells you that you're nothing, that you're not good enough. This world tells you that you're shortage. This world tells you there can only be one winner. The world tells you it's lonely at the top. All this stuff that the world says. He says, hey, don't be conformed to that, but do what? Be transformed how? Be transformed because you get a new job. Is that what it says? Be transformed because you get a new boo. Be transformed because you cut your hair. How are you transformed? By renewing your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? Now, see, here we go. And this is where church gets interesting. We love to quote scriptures without understanding how to do them. So the Bible just told you, don't be conformed to this world. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Most of us can read it. We can intellectually understand it. Well, how do you actually do it? Because if I don't know actually how to do it, it would be like this if I gave you a recipe and I said, hey, bake this cake. And I said, sift the flour. But if you don't know what a sifter is, you got a problem. And your ability to read sift the flour and to quote sift the flour and to tell somebody else to sift the flour and to make a faith confession about sifting the flour won't get the flour sifted. And the challenge for many of us is we think that because we are 
able to articulate something because we are able to make a cute faith confession of something that we actually know how to do it. So how do we transform? So I'm a, that's what I want to teach you today. Here's how you transform. In order to transform, you have to change shape. You have to move from one thing to the other. The movie's Transformers is not a good indication of transformation because they can change into and change back. God never intended you for you to spend your life changing into and changing back. At church, I'm happy. At home, I'm sad. At church, I'm happy. At work, I'm depressed. At church, I believe there's enough. When I get home, I don't know how I'm going to make it. You're not designed to live in this state of going into and coming out of. You are designed to use the word to see who you are and to come into a new state of being. So I used to believe there wasn't enough, and then I meditated on the word, and now I know there is enough. So when it looks like there's not enough, I don't start going through the same mental rehearsal of how I'm not enough, how my mom ain't never been there, how I failed my English class in the, when I, my junior year, I remind myself of who I am, that there is enough, and I train my soul to come into agreement with what's true. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, say, that takes work. Yeah. Now I have to become metacognitive. I got to think about my thinking. And most people do not think about their thinking. You think about other people's thinking. Why don't they love me? Wrong question. Why don't you love you enough to stop begging them to love you? Why does this stuff always happen to me? Why do I keep showing up as a person that this stuff can always happen to? Every job I've ever been on, you. Every relationship I've ever been in, Every time, you. But so if you're going to transform your life, you have to become metacognitive. I've got to become conscious enough to think about my thinking because I cannot change what I'm not aware of. Remember last week and I said to those of you who were there, I said, hey, try to brush your teeth differently this week. Who tried? Is it hard? Who's it really hard for? Tell me what happens when you start trying to brush your teeth. Because you have to stay conscious not to, right? So how you brush your teeth is automatic. How you think about life, money, relationships, politics, the climate, everything is automatic until you interrupt it. You never would have thought to brush your teeth differently if someone hadn't challenged you to. Or if you hadn't had something that happened that created enough pain that required you to change. The challenge is we've got this mindset that you got to be in pain before you change. Could you tell your neighbor, say, you do not have to be in pain before you change. You can change simply because you want God's best. You can be like, this is the way I think. That's not the way he thinks. Oh, I'm going to change. You don't have to always be in the valley, always be in the pit, always barely not going to make it before you change. You can say, wait, God has this for me? Does this look like what God has for me? All right, let's go to work, change. Let's get conscious about what we think. What am I saying about myself? What am I saying about God? What am I saying about my future? What am I saying about today? Now I get it because then somebody goes, well, God is in control. 
Great, let's work through that. Because that's an important theological point. People go, God is sovereign, God is in control. So when you told that lie, God was in control of that? When you was underage and you took that drink, God was in control of that. God told you not to go to class. God was in control of that. God is the reason that you flip people off in the morning in traffic. God does that. People blame God and the devil when they don't want responsibility. Now, when people want responsibility, people quick to tell you how grown they are. I'm grown. I'm my own person. Don't nobody tell me what to do. But when you don't want responsibility, it's God, the devil, or some of your family did. So, God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he has given every person choice. God won't even make you get saved. It's a bad idea not to be saved, but he won't make you. So if God won't make you get saved, God won't make you accept healing. He won't make you get out of poverty. He won't make you and your spouse stop cussing each other out. Now, when you cuss, he'll be like, this is a bad idea. This ain't going to end well for you, but he won't make you. Have you ever in your life had God come and physically hold you down and stop you from doing something you wanted to do? So God in his sovereignty has given you choice. So if you want a better life, you got to choose better thoughts. All right, let's keep going. Y'all all right? So transformation is the thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. Transformation is metamorphosis. We all know metamorphosis, caterpillar to butterfly. Once a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it doesn't go back to being a caterpillar. Once it's converted, it's converted forever. But because we're humans, we can choose to be in and out of metamorphosis. We can, okay, anybody ever done this? I'm going to clean up my eating. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever go clean it? Let me. Anybody ever actually like made it a whole week and cleaned up your eating? And you felt better? And you was like, why in the world would I go back to that? And did. And did. How many of you have ever cleaned up your eating, got rid of sodas, you drinking water, your skin clear, you not as ashy, your eczema went away, you like, why would I ever go back? And then a soda called you. And a soda said to you, a little bit won't hurt. And then you tasted the soda, and it actually tasted bad. But you keep drinking it because you have the choice to determine whether you transform or not. You do. That soda didn't jump out the bottle into the glass, hold your mouth open and down your throat. You chose it. You chose to go to Sonic and when it was happy hour, you chose to push that button. You chose to say, give me a Route 44 Easy Ice. You chose to say, Dr. Pepper with some cherry syrup. You chose to. You chose to split that straw, stick it in, and take that sip. 
chose it. And if you understood how much power you had, you would understand the only person you are waiting on to change your life is you. You don't need another prayer meeting. I hope you still come to church. But the change starts with your decision. So Romans 22, it says, be transformed so you can know for yourself what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Go to Proverbs 23 and 7. Why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, every new age personal development person on the planet uses this as a foundational scripture when they're teaching transformation. They, they say, the great book said, I heard a man say, they said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, this is important. Why? Because you need to know these two things. I am an expression of my most dominant thoughts. I am an expression of my most dominant thoughts. You can look at me and tell what I think about some things. You can tell I like short hair. You can tell I like it to be blonde. You can tell I think you should be dressed down in church. You can tell I'm not giving up carbs. You can look at me and tell. <laughs> if you would see that you are the most, the dominant, you are the expression of your most dominant thoughts. You are. Every one of you, I could have you stand up and I could tell you what you believe. You could tell me that that's not what you believe, but your body tell me that's what you believe. You believe in running, you run. You believe in drinking water, you drink water. You believe in being a vegan, that's how you eat. You don't, you won't. It doesn't matter what a doctor says. It doesn't matter how much expert advice you get. None of that matters. You are the expression of your most dominant thoughts. Here's the second part of it. Your reality, your personal reality, what you see every day is an expression, a reflection of your most dominant thoughts. You live where you live because that's what you believe. You do what you do because that's what you believe. Does anybody follow Pastor Edwin on social media? Yeah. What can you guarantee he going to be at least once a day? No, what can, no, let me hear you. What can you guarantee? He got a towel asking where it is. You can, what can you guarantee he gonna be, if you follow him on social media, what can you guarantee he gonna be at least once a day? Let me ask you this. Have you noticed that some days he's pettier than others? Let me tell you when you can tell when he's extra petty. If he extra petty, he working from home. <laughs> if, if, if you like, he ain't post a lot today. They got him in a meeting somewhere. He's not really free to be petty. He still got petty in him. He just can't get the petty to you. He believes in being petty. It is manifested by his social media. What does your social media tell us about you? What's our, what does your Instagram tell us about you? For some of us, it tells us that you're double-minded. Like in the morning, you like real down with Jesus. 
and you like rocking all the way through, by noon you're going to cuss some people out. By evening, you need an Olivia Pope glass of wine. You need the bottle. You just pour the bottle. Matter of fact, don't use the glass. Just pop the top, drink the bottle. But you do that. Hear me. You don't do that because of the stress in your life. You don't do that because of who you work with. You do that because of what you believe about you. Because if you believe that the way to alleviate stress was to go on a power walk, what would you do? You power walk. You drink because you believe that's the way. You eat the ice cream because you believe that's the way. Like real talk, if I get real stressed out, don't talk to me about no walking. I don't care nothing about no walking. You know what I want? I want a dessert. I want a dessert in a restaurant by myself. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me no questions. Don't send me no, leave me alone. I don't want the dessert with you. I want you not talk to me. When you can tell that kind of truth about yourself, you can admit your own bad behavior and why you create what you create. Because if you have enough leave me alone moments and then you start being left alone, then you sad, you're like, don't nobody want to be around me, but your whole life is leave me alone. Nobody can speak to you till you have your coffee. At work, you don't want to be bothered. Your kids get on your nerves. And nobody invites you to go anywhere. You're like, why am I by myself? You created a world. Your personal reality is that you need to be left alone. So then you create a reality that says, leave me alone. All right. Listen, so let's talk about this because I'm talking about what you create. So let's just use Pastor Elwin because it's funny, right? And it's always easier to look at something funny than it is to look at something serious. So he actually really does believe in being petty. Like so much so that he actually could do a whole comedy show with the level of his pettiness. Y'all don't even know. Like the petty that you hear is modified petty. Most of the real petty, I'm like, you can't say that. Don't say that. Right? So... He is an expression of his most dominant thought. One of his biggest dominant thoughts is that he can still love Jesus and be petty and funny. That's what he believes. You see that mirror. Here's the thing. His Facebook then becomes a reality of his most dominant thoughts because not only is his page petty, it then begins to connect him with other petty people. His timeline shows things that my timeline doesn't. I'm like, how do you know these people? Where do you come up with these memes, these videos, this whatever? Because this petty begats petty. So does your poverty. So does your depression. Because when people are depressed, they don't want to hang with happy people. They want some other sad people. When people are offended, they don't want to hang with other unoffended people. They like, wait. Who is the, it is the reason people always say, how do, the un, how do the most offended people in church find each other? You have a vibrational frequency that draws you to them because of your thinking. Okay, let's keep going. So I'm like, when we go shout, we're going to shout once we shift. Then we'll have something to shout about. See what I'm saying? And see, the other thing is that you got to stop using church as a place to feed your addiction. Because people use church to get high. My life is raggedy. I'm jacked up. So I'm going to come to church and run around the room three times. And you go get some. Well, here's really, I want you to know what happens. Here's what the research says. The research says that your brain functions at the highest capacity when you're thankful. So you come into a place that gets you thankful. 
You can jump up and down, lift your hands because you're thankful. Your body goes, ooh, they're thankful. Your body then begins to release endorphins. Endorphins are happy drugs. So you go to church and you go, why do I feel so happy? You, went to ha- you, go, you feel happy because you went to church. You thought happy thoughts about Thanksgiving. They released chemicals that said you were happy that then caused more thoughts that said you were happy. It is the reason that people can come to church and everybody can be happy and they can sit here and be sad the same sir, a whole service. No matter what anybody says, you refuse to move. Because we create our life with our thoughts. How many of you have something that right now, if you meditate on, you could get sad? How many of you have something right now, if you meditate on, you could get happy? Can I ask you a question? If you have both, why would you ever choose to be sad? If you have something to think about that can make you sad, and something to think about that can make you happy, why in the world would you choose to be sad? I'm going to tell you why you choose to be sad. Because your body has been trained that you need that emotion. Okay, let's keep going. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and 3. Say, we're learning how to change. I don't want people to go to church and spend their whole life knowing there should be something better and nothing changes about you. I don't want you to just memorize scripture and run around the room and sow another seed. I want you to be like, you know what? I have the tools to actually change my life. So, yes, I'm going to shout. Yes, I'm going to sow. And then I'm going to do the work this week. When I find myself getting sad, I'm going to say, hey, self, what are you thinking about that's making you sad? Oh, I don't want to think about that. Because I have other stuff that makes me happy. You go, well, if I don't think about it, how would I solve it? When have you being sad ever solved a problem for you? In fact, if when you sad, let me tell you what you're going to do. Make worse decisions. Because sad begins the, the whole narrative. Anger begins the whole narrative. You go, how does somebody walk into a place and shoot up something? What happened in their mind? What they replayed over and over and over again? And then you'll hear people after they do something like that, they'll say, and I came back to myself. They really mean that. They mean I put myself in a cycle that did not allow any realistic thought to happen. So I went out and I did something crazy and then I came back to myself. It happens to little kids all the time until they get a spanking. And then the heat brings them back, right? They're like, whoa, I don't want to live like this. I want to be a better person. But what you don't want to live your life is needing something external to bring you back. You want to train yourself to be able to bring yourself back. You don't want to get fired to bring yourself back. Oh, my God, I shouldn't have been cussing everybody out. No, you want to be before you started cussing, you want to be able to say, this is a bad idea. It says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen are made of things which do not appear. Genesis 1, we're not going to go there. We've taught this many times. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it tells us that we're created in the image of God. So here's what happens. You are created in the image of God. It tells us how God creates worlds. God creates worlds with words. You're created in the image of God. You create your world with words. Say that. I create my world and one of the hardest things to admit for any of us is that whatever state of raggedy your life is in, you created it. Yeah. 
It, it is hard to understand. And I know you got about 12 people you want to jump up and shout and blame right now. But when you get through, it is not them. It is you. And that is beautiful to me. Because if I have to wait on my mama to get it right to change, I may not ever be able to change. But if I can shift myself, I can change in a moment, in an instant, I can decide this is not how my story ends. So how is your world framed? With your? Not a trick question. How is your world framed? With your words. I am the way I am because of what they said about me. No, you are the way you are because you believe what they said about you. Either way, if somebody's really amazing and they go, I'm amazing and I believe because my mama said. No, you chose to believe because other people's mamas have told them that they were amazing and they didn't do amazing stuff. Good or bad, you are where you are today because you chose it. That means you can choose something else. I know that takes, I know that means you got to stop watching so much TV, quit laying on the couch, just waiting on something to happen. But the great thing is, is that if you stop watching so much TV, quit laying on the couch, waiting on something to happen, you can have something better. You don't like your job? Change it. But you can't change your job until you change your inside. Why? Because even if you get another job, you'll just show up at, at your job as the same person that you were. And then you'll have the same things happen. So we frame our word with the word. So I use this example because it's the most, it's the it's the clearest example I have of this. So you've heard me tell the story before. My older brother sold drugs. He was a drug dealer, like pretty big drug dealer in our city. And I really love my older brother. And I used to really idolize my older brother. And I thought my older brother was like the dopest thing in the world. I thought it was so cool. We had we have different mothers. I thought it was so cool how like he like broke the rules and left school. I wasn't gonna leave school. I was scared of my grandma. But I love that he did that stuff, right? So I couldn't wait to get out of school and quit, do all the stuff I was supposed to do so I could hang with my brother, right? So over time, what happens is, is that I begin to become a girl who dates drug dealers. How do I become a girl that dates drug dealers? Because something in me is attracted to drug dealers. I am attracted to fast money. I am attracted to people who live on the edge. I ain't gonna live on the edge with you, but I am attracted to the fact that you live on the edge. I'm scared of my grandma. So I, I date a drug dealer. I come to college. I got a boyfriend here and I got a drug dealer boyfriend. Cause you gotta have a drug dealer boyfriend cause that's where all the excitement is. Somebody's nodding, I ain't gonna call your name, but listen, it's cool, listen. I go to Houston. I spend the summer in Houston. The two dudes I date are drug dealers. It's like I got a sign that says, hey, she gets down with drug dealers. And I'll even hold your money and come get you out of jail. I'm not going to jail. I'm not holding no drugs. But I'll hold your money and I'll come get you. In my sophomore year, the guy that I dated gets popped. He's got $23,000 cash a whole lot of drugs, and he's supposed to sell 15, serve 15 years in jail. I have to drive from Northwest Arkansas to El Dorado. As I'm driving, I start thinking, are you really the kind of girl who want to spend your Saturdays driving to the pen? I don't think I am. This doesn't seem like very much fun to me. 
It was cute when he was throwing money. This ain't cute no more. It's not cute when an officer calls you and says, we'd like to talk to you about so-and-so. About who? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That ain't cute. So by the time I get to El Dorado, which is about five and a half hour drive, when I walk in, I'm a new person. No, I'm serious. I am a new person on the inside. I sit down and he says, I'm not going to do this, huh? No, I'm not going to do this. Don't send none of your people from me. Let me be free. And this is what he says to me. I wondered how long it would take you to realize this when you're real life. He was willing to let me stay in the life because I thought I should be in the life. But the moment I decided that I wasn't supposed to be in the life, he was like, you, this, this ain't your life, no way. Listen, I got my little self back in my car. I drove back up the road on the way. I didn't even realize this is what meditation was. I started saying stuff like, I don't date drug dealers. I need my men to be to put their money in the bank. Because if you date drug dealers, they don't keep a lot of money in the bank. I don't want your money in the dryer, in the mattress, in a plant, in the bank. I want you to have a credit score. I want you to get a W-2. I want you to be able to track. If the people come talk to us, I want to be able to say, Joe works for Smith Construction. (laughs) It took a little while before drug dealers stopped approaching me. Because even though I was changing my mind, I still had some residue. I saw that guy like five years later, I went home. He was like, hey, little mama. No, little mama, Sean. No, uh-uh. Don't you want to ride in the car with me? No. You probably got drugs in there. That ain't my life. Right, I see what you're playing to. I'm like, no, that's not really, I, I, I like legal. When I remember dating, when I was dating, and one of the first things he said to me is, I don't ever intend to go to jail. Check. There we go. Yes, this fits into my, yeah, I'm not doing nothing illegal. Yeah, check. Because I'm not coming to see you. You need to understand that whatever you're manifesting, it's in you. There are people here going, a drug dealer has never approached me. I know. Ain't nothing about you that ever said I'll hold your money. Everything about you is like, if you come near me, I will call the police. I will scream very loudly. And so they didn't. So if you keep attracting people who use you, why? If you keep attracting people who take advantage of you, why? If you keep attracting people who end up depending on you and can't think for themselves, why? There is something in you that says, come here. I'm your people. All right, keep going. All right. Our, um, Abba created us to build from the inside out. We're created to build from the inside out. If you keep thinking that you build from the outside in, you never take real responsibility for your life. I was listening to this thing the other day, and this guy was talking about how he lost all of his money, and everybody was so sad because he lost all of his money. He was like, man, eat. I'll make it back in two weeks. I am the money. And he made it back in a week because he believed that it was him that created the money, not the money that designed him. 
defined him. So if you believe money defines you, that's, how, that's why your bank account controls your mood. But if you believe that you made the money, then the amount of money couldn't control you because when it wasn't enough, you just make more. I don't mean you grinding money harder. First, you'd see yourself with more, and then you would attract what it is that you are. So Abba created us to build from the inside out. We are designed to think a thought, create a visual based on that thought, feel that thought, and then act based on that thought until we manifest. Everybody understands how to do this in the negative. You just got to learn how to do it in the positive. You think a thought, right? That thought creates a visual. Anybody ever had a fight that they prepared for? Let's see. This when you start getting to know what kind of people you got in your church, right? Anybody ever had a fight that you prepared for? I don't mean you said today I'm going to fight. You said if I ever get in a fight, I'm going to do X. People raise their hand, me, me, me. Some of these people are like, we don't fight. What's wrong with y'all? But the other people know exactly what I'm talking about. You visualize what you would do and say before you got there. You then did and said. You put. You felt it. Anybody ever got worked up because you thought about what you was going to tell somebody? No, I'm talking about your body starts to respond because you like, when I get to work today, I'm going to tell that heifer and then your whole body, you done jumped up, heart racing, ain't nobody there but you. Ain't nobody there but you. That's how powerful your thoughts are. Right, you like, because as soon as she say this, I'm just waiting on her to say this, because as soon as she say this, you have, you're rehearsing and your body is engaging. That is what visualization really is. The challenge for many of you is when it comes to God, you ain't got no emotional response. So you don't go, when we go, all our needs are met, you go, all my needs are met. But nothing on the inside went, ooh. How my knees are met? Huh. Yeah, my knees are met. Your body didn't respond. And that's why affirmations in and of themselves don't produce anything for you. Nobody gets saved just because they confess Jesus Lord. That's not what the scripture says. Go to Romans 10, 9, I mean Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because you need to say that anything that's taught in the positive also works in the negative. Anything that's taught in the negative also works in the positive. In the sixth grade, I decided that I wasn't good at math. I actually decided that I wasn't good at math because we had a teacher that told us that girls weren't good at math. He said, girls are good at reading. Boys are good at math. The reason you struggle is because you're not supposed to be good at this. To this day, even when I'm like helping little kids with math, I get nervous. I be like, four plus eight is... Why? Because what he said became so real that cre it created a visualization that created an emotion that became a story. So much so that when my kids were younger, if they gave me math problems and their dad wasn't there, I just looked the answer up and gave it to them. I said, here you go. go. Let's teach you explain it tomorrow. I'll, listen, take the picture, write it down. 
Let's eat some ice cream. Why? Because I'm stressed now, so I need some ice cream. <laughs> All of that is based on a story. All of that is based on a story. Here's the greatest story that, that women tell. Like, women will be like, after labor, I don't remember anything. It was all worth it. If that's your truth, it's only because the story that you told. Because whatever contractions you had before, you still had them. So what sticks with you is whatever you left in your memory as being most real. It's how you date people the second time. No, real talk. You date people the second time because you got selective memory. Like when you see them the second time, you like forget about all the reason that you broke up the first time. And you be like, oh, but you know, he cute. Oh, and I still feel tingly. What about all them times you was crying? Your friends, they start trying to tell you that you don't want to hear nothing about that. All you want to talk about is when I see him and X, and then your story that you tell yourself, you visualize, you wrote your name in them little hearts. You know you put your name, Edwin and Sean. You hearted it up. You put we together forever. Emotions. And if those emotions get big enough, it doesn't matter what he does, you'll stay. Because the story you created, was that this is love, this is us, this is wonderful, this is amazing. So it says, if you do what? Read this. Go to the next verse. Go back to verse 9. We almost done. We almost done. It says, if you should confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's teaching you a principle. This, you, now that you've accepted Jesus, you understand a principle. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Right? So if you believe something negative in your heart and then you confess it with your mouth, you'll find destruction. Because the principle is not just that I speak when I speak something good and I believe something good, I get that. It's whatever I believe in my heart and begin to speak out of my mouth becomes my reality. So you're like, why do I always end up with no money? Because you believe in your heart that you don't have enough money, so you speak out of your mouth that you don't have enough money. Now here's what happens to people when they start coming to church. Then you, we start teaching you to watch your words. So you watch your words, but the truth of it is your heart still hasn't changed. You still believe in your lack more than you believe in the abundance. So your mouth is saying, I believe all of my needs are met. I believe I'm fully supplied, but you still feel in your heart lack. Now you're what the Bible calls a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. Your mouth is saying one thing, your body's feeling something else. And as long as, your, as long as your mind is going one way and your mouth is going one way, but your body is doing something else, you can't manifest the good. That's why we meditate. So we can transform our thinking. All right, let's take something simple. All right, what would it look like to have enough? What would it look like to go to a job that I really enjoyed? What would it look like to drive a car that cranks up every time? What would it look like to be married and not be fighting every third day? What would it look like? Can I see that? Can I connect my emotions with that? Oh, my emotions are connected with that. Oh, I can see that. Oh, that becomes real to me. When it becomes real to me, I begin to manifest it. The reason that Jesus never showed any lack in the earth is because he didn't have any lack in him. 
When Jesus got ready to feed the 5,000, Jesus didn't look at the 5,000. Jesus looked to heaven because in heaven there was no lack. He kept a visual. So your mind, your heart, your mouth have to be in agreement, congruence. They have to be in harmony. They have to be in unity. Here's the beautiful thing about this. If I begin to understand this, then when I'm not in unity, I can be reflective. All right, I really want to believe. You see that saying? I really want to believe I'm healed, but my body's hurting. Now what do I do? I really want to believe that I could own a house, but I don't know anybody who owns a house. How do I, how do I shift myself into a different place? Is this making sense, you guys? All right. If I can use my heart and mouth to believe into the will of God, then I can use my heart and mouth to believe outside of the will of God. If I have the power of choice, if I can use my, my will and my mouth, to believe into the will of God, then I can use my will and my mouth to believe outside of the will of God. I want to give you this as a thought. You don't have to believe everything you think. Everything you think isn't true. In fact, a lot of the stuff you think is not true. It's a perception. But if you make your perception truth, that's the reality you're going to create. Has anybody ever heard some, had somebody say that you were mad at them and you know you weren't mad at them? Anybody ever had that happen to them? Is it not one of the most frustrating things in the world for somebody to tell you that you're mad at them when you know you're not mad at them? It only makes you mad if you choose to let it make you mad. Now, the truth of it is most people choose to let it make them mad. So now you become the fulfillment of someone else's personal reality. They decided you were mad. They kept saying it. So you came into agreement with it. Or you could have said, I'm not sure why you determined to make me mad today, but I ain't going. And that's when people begin to have personal power over themselves. The Bible says it like this. It says a man without self-control is like a city with no gate. So until you can think about your thinking and understand why you're being moved, anything can move you whenever it want to move you. How many of you know how to vex your spouse if you really want to? <laughs> or your boo, your best friend. Your how many of you know how to get up under your mama's skin if you really want to? Somebody said, I ain't going to do it, but I know how to do it. So the truth of it is, is that until you take some personal control and responsibility over you, people just move you however they want to. They just decide how you're going to be today. Misty going to be mad today. I know if I tell Misty four times that I think she's mad at me, she'll take the journey. I need somebody to be mad today because I like drama and I need a conflict. Misty looks great. Let's do it. She don't have enough self-control not to. Let's dance. How many times are you moved like that, and how many times has somebody moved you like that? When we started this series months and months ago, when I started, I said one of the best lessons of my life was to learn not to let Pastor Edwin get under my skin. I said his mama should have gave him a little sister. She didn't. So because she didn't, at, at will, he used to say, I'm going to see how crazy I can make her act. 
It used to be good till he could get me to wig out, and then he would sit and laugh at me. He'd be like, that don't even make no sense. Why are you acting like that? Now I really want to fight. And I just remember the day I just thought, this is stupid. You ought to get some self-control. You do not have to respond to everything that he says. I'm not saying that it's perfect now. I'm saying that the journey diffuses a lot longer. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not doing this with you. I love you. Let's hug. You have control over you. Your boss, your, your friend, your whoever. Nobody's making you do anything. You are making yourself, and you can make yourself do something else. All right, I want to teach you to think and feel in circle, and then I want to give you a chance to ask any questions if you have any, because I want to make sure this is um, clear. So this is what, you know, it's fascinating to me. When the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, it's really actually true. Not like in just some, not just in a metaphysical sense, you actually become what you believe. Now, I don't understand all the full biology of it, but here's what I understand at a most simple level. When you think a thought, you release a chemical. That chemical releases a feeling. That feeling causes you to think another thought that agrees with your original thought. That thought releases another chemical. That chemical releases another feeling. That feeling releases another thought. It's just a circle. So anybody who gets sad, here's what happened. You thought a sad thought. You grabbed hold of it. Oh, my God, it's so messed up how they did me like that. It released a feeling, a chemical. Your body said, hey, mind, the mind said, body follow. Your body said, let's get sad. Droop shoulders. Droop shoulders said, think another thought. Shoulders are droop. Sad. Chemical. Feeling. Thought. Over and over and over again. You do it long enough, it becomes your state of being. You ever saw anybody and you said, why are you sad? And they like, well, this thing happened a week ago. A week ago? It happened a week ago. Somebody didn't speak to you a week ago, and you sad today. Y'all broke up last year. Y'all didn't date for three months, but a year later, <laughs> you sad because you broke up. You can come get it. Do you see what I'm saying? So thinking, chemical, feeling, thinking. If you can intellectually begin to say, I'm angry, oh, that means I took an angry thought. That angry thought released a chemical that says, let's get crunk. It released a feeling, we going to fight somebody. We going to cuss somebody out. You begin to think about cussing somebody out. You release another chemical. Can you see that? So how much power do you have over how you feel? Thanks, Chris. We're going to try again. The answer is a lot. Okay. How much power do you have over how you feel? How much power do you have over how you feel? You know what's interesting to me is that most of you expect kids to have more self-control than you have. You expect kids to manage their emotions better than you manage yours. So you are outdone when you see a three-year-old having a temper tantrum. Somebody need to get them. But you live your life having temper tantrums. All right, so, so think about it. So the thinking-feeling cycle, it becomes your state of being. The longer you're in that state of being, it becomes your personality. 
It becomes your personality. It creates your personal reality. You see what I'm saying? Make sense? So, how do I change it? I have to unlearn the things that I'm thinking by learning something else. I have to be metacognitive. Listen, this is what I was saying to Pastor Edwin the other day. If you get really conscious to think about your thinking, you really don't have a lot of time to think about what other people are doing. Because everything in your life becomes, why did I feel that way? Why did I think that? What does that really mean? Did they really say that? Or is that what I really heard? And you begin to realize how silly you are sometimes about being triggered by stuff that only happened in your mind. I went there and nobody spoke to me. Let me stop and back back. Oh, they were in a meeting about something. But what you saw was that they didn't speak to you because that was the perception in the space that you were in. Oh, they were being mean to me. What, what did they say that was actually mean to you? It's really interesting. If you start engaging with your kids and you start asking those kind of questions, what you see is a lot of perception. It's my perception that this happened. It is my perception. This, um, this girl told me the other day, she said, you know, I'm just intimidated she said, I'm intimidated by you because you're tall. And I said, oh, so you choose to be intimidated because you're short. She says, I'm intimidated because you're tall. No, you choose to be intimidated because you're short. Because I don't go with you everywhere. You go with you everywhere. So you have chosen to take on a position of being intimidated because you're short. That's not on me. That's on you. Then you can start giving stuff back to people. People are like, you made me mad. Mm-mm, here you go. You can have that back. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure why you got triggered, but you go ahead. Let me know, Let me know when you want to talk through it because I didn't make you anything. I'm not that powerful. And if I am, give me all your money. <laughs> no, I mean, if, I'm, if I got that kind of power, write me a check. Go ahead and give me what you got in your account. So the Bible tells us how do we change this cycle? Meditation. I really want to talk to you about meditation in the terms of Christian meditation because what I have found is that a lot of Christians, when you're meditating, you're just repeating stuff. So, for example, you go, I am healed, 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 I am healed. That's not meditation. Meditation has to become, I am healed. What does healed look like for me? How will my body feel if it was healed? Oh, it would feel really good to be able to move my knee like that. Now I'm connecting to something. I'm telling a story. I'm glad it's, wait, mm -mm, it's a few kids in here. I ain't going to say that. I got another story to tell when there's some, ain't no kids in here. But listen, I just want to tell you that any of you who have ever ended up in a situation, and you know what a situation is, you ended up in that situation because it started in your mind. All situations begin in your mind. You went, mm, he can get it. No, I'm trying to tell you the truth because I want you to know what to do when you get out of here and somebody walks past or guys go, I don't know what guys say now. When I, They probably say the same thing, but they just, the, the more polite guys don't say it, but they think, I hit that. I, she can get it. I hit that. And then people go, I don't know how we ended up in bed today. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You do know. You meditated. Some of you picked your odds. You said, you said, she cute. She probably won't give me none. Oh, she'll, she'll try. Yeah, I, yeah, let me talk to her. Real talk. 
So you picking jobs and cars and schools and life and everything based on what you believe and think. And you take yourself on a journey in your mind. And then once you take yourself on a journey in the mind, your life follows. Does that make sense? So we want to meditate. So one of the things we've been asking people to do is that in the morning and in the evening, take some quiet time. When you wake up in the morning, I know you think that the most important thing you can do is check social media. It is not. The most important, or your email. Everybody don't love social media, but you love your email. How many emails did I get at night from your job? Well, I just want to remind you that if you die, somebody else will answer those emails. So, in the morning before you wake up, take a set, I mean before you get up out of bed, not before you wake up, but before you get out of bed, try to keep your eyes closed. Train yourself. Try to keep your eyes closed because typically once your eyes open, it's over. T keep your eyes closed. Make a list of what you're thankful for today. What am I thankful for today? Then begin to think about what kind of day you're going to have. Man, I'm going to have a really great day with my husband. I'm going to laugh at all his jokes, even if they're not funny. I'm going to engage with my kids. I'm not going to yell at anybody. Even if they don't clean the kitchen right, I'm going to see myself saying to them calmly, guys, can you go ahead and just take care of the counter for me? Because if I can see myself doing it, when it happens, I'm much more equipped to respond. I'm going to go to work today, and the lady who's sitting next to me, she going to come and talk about nothing. And I'm going to give her two minutes of undivided attention, because maybe she's just in a really broken place and needs somebody to listen to her. I'm going to give her two minutes. I ain't going to pick my phone up. I'm just going to look at her. I'm just going to engage with her. I'm going to help her know that she matters, and then I'm going to tell her I got to get back to work. I'm not going to dread Monday. So when I leave here today, I'm not going to start thinking, oh, my God, I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to be like, oh, my goodness, I get to go to work tomorrow. If you go, I don't like my job, well, you probably liked it when you got it. So just go back into that energy. Because when you got it, you had us all praying and fasting and believing. Now you got it. Show us some Thanksgiving. I'm going to be real. I'm, I'm, you know what? I don't really like this job anymore. I feel like I'm wrapping up my season, so okay, I'm going to go to work and be really intentional about learning everything I need to learn that will help me transition to the next job. I am going to sow a seed of making this company, leaving this company, trying to leave it better than I found it so I can set my future up. You know what? I noticed that whenever I go to lunch with so-and-so, whenever I come back, I'm always in a bad mood. Note to self, no lunch with them this week. They complain a lot. When I'm with them, I complain a lot. I don't want to complain that much. And then at the end of the day, about 10 minutes before you're sleeping, turn your phone off, get quiet, reflect on the day. Man, today was a good day. I did this well. Wait, why did I yell at my kid when that happened? What was really going on? Oh, I need to remind them that when they see me in my office with a client to hold on a second before they say something. Oh, but maybe I should also realize that my clients aren't more important than my kids. So I'm really thankful for today. What am I going to do better tomorrow? How did I grow? How did I learn? Now I'm going to go to sleep. 